Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. I want to invite you to stay updated with me on social media and see what we are doing in the ministry. You can follow me on Facebook at John Wallace. You can follow me on Instagram at Jonathan R. Wallace. And you can follow our YouTube page at New Beginnings Huntington. I pray this message builds your faith and gives you revelation. Let's get ready for the Word of God. Well, I have a word I want to give to you this morning, and then we're going to baptize somebody right after service. Whew. Thank you, Jesus. I want you guys to just buckle up. This is a word that he's given me. Uh, he gave this word to me initially. I'll tell you the story, but it, it's a prophetic word. If you're not familiar with that, I just want you to, to know in Acts chapter 2, the Bible says that that would be a sign of the last days is that God pours out his spirit on all flesh. And I'm sorry, let me make this announcement as well. We're not doing children's church today. Uh, I, just, I just encourage you, even if you're kids, just sit in this because the, the glory of God will touch you this morning. He'll touch your kids. I love children's church. It's great and it's wonderful. Y'all, but man, I'm telling you, get your kids in the glory of God. Get your kids around the anointing of the Holy Ghost. That'll change their life forever. That'll change their life forever. We have so many core kids here that are teenagers that are on fire, filled with the Holy Ghost. And people, people always kind of come, and we've had other churches come that are way larger than us and ask. They're like, man, our, our youth group's a bunch of heathens that act like they don't want nothing to do with us, and we're trying to do all this stuff to, to get them to even seem halfway interested. And you guys have all these kids that are just fi- filled with the fire of the Holy Ghost. What do you do? I said, well, I, we don't do anything other than get our kids around the anointing as much as possible. So if any, any kid that's a part of our core program, they know several times, uh, maybe several times a month, at least every other month, we're taking these kids to meetings in Houston and Dallas, and we went to Louisiana. We took them to, the, to Tampa, Florida this last summer. You're like, man, doesn't that s- seem extreme? Doesn't, yeah, it is extreme. But we'll go to those links to get our kids in the, in the anointing of God. We don't want our kids to get some little cheesy, watered-down presentation of the gospel from a person that barely believes the words that they're saying. We want our kids to have an encounter with the raw presence and power of God because that's the thing that will mark their lives forever. I want to tell you, I had an encounter when I was 16 where I was baptized in the Holy Ghost in a powerful way, and I went into rebellion, but I couldn't stay in rebellion because I want to tell you, once you taste and see, nothing else compares. When I was in rebellion through my halfway through my 17th year and 18th year, Man, I, I was miserable. I was miserable. I was trying to enjoy the things of the world, and I just couldn't. I was absolutely miserable because I had just been marked by the fire of the Holy Ghost. Even though I was missing a lot and I didn't know a lot, you know, and the Lord's been gracious to add that, I was marked. And so I went into the world, and it just, it, it was like, it just didn't matter what I tried. It never came close. It never came close. Hallelujah. I hear the Lord say this too. You need to make it a priority to get your kids in the glory of God. Make it a priority. 
Thank you, Lord. So the Lord gave me this word last November. This week, I had the privilege of going on a broadcast with Evangelist David King. He broadcasts throughout the week and, and uh, has a ministry he does and, and out of his studio, and he brought me on. And, you know, I had something prepared, and the morning I woke up that I was going on this broadcast with, with this minister, the Lord brought me back to this word that he gave me last November. And honestly, I've been stewing on this word. The Lord told me about a month ago that I was going to give this word, but he never would release me to give it. He would never release every, every Sunday. I'd get up here, and it's like he'd just go in a different direction. And so I felt very firm coming to this service that this was what the Lord wanted me to, to bring up again because it's what he's doing. This was a prophetic word he gave me last November. Y'all just pray with me. Father, thank you for the Holy Ghost. Thank you for speaking. Thank you for moving. Thank you for touching people today. Give them ears to hear. Lord, I pray that nobody be offended. But if they are offended, let it be so. Let them be offended. And let it be a good offense. Let it aggravate the living devil out of them. It, and, and cause them to confront things that need to be confronted. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We give you glory and praise <laughs> in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Last November, I was praying. I was out by my pond and, and just praying in the spirit. I want to tell you, if you're not baptized in the Holy Ghost, you need to get baptized in the Holy Ghost because you're missing like 90% of what God has to offer you on this earth. It's amazing. So I was out praying in the Holy, in the, in the Holy Spirit and praying in tongues and praying in the spirit. And I want to tell you what's amazing. Not only can you pray in the spirit, but the Bible actually says you can interpret what you pray. So you can interpret it in English. You know what happens when you begin to interpret tongues? It comes out as prophecy. It comes out as the prophetic. Did you know that you can prophesy over your life? Did you know that when you're in a bind and there's things that need to be bound and loose, that you can begin to pray in tongues and then be put your faith out for God to give you interpretation and actually begin to prophesy the word of the Lord over your own life? Man, that, that's where... That's where, that's where things actually start to happen. When you start releasing those arrows of the Lord and you're like, man, why is it that I could run from this conference to this conference to this conference and get a word from everybody else and it never worked, but then that word come out of your mouth and out of your spirit and it's just like, it's just, it goes to work immediately. So I was out praying in the spirit and out of my mouth came this phrase, the era of the kingdom. The era of the kingdom. And so it was followed with this. The Lord said, you are entering into the era of the kingdom or the kingdom era. Can y'all say the kingdom era? Came straight out of my spirit. And at first, you're probably thinking what I thought. I thought, what the heck does that mean? That kingdom era, that sounds like something from King Arthur or something. You know, I had no idea. It was really strange to me. So I began to seek the Lord. Lord, what does this mean? And I began to do some digging and some studying. And I want to explain this first, the word era, because I thought that was very strange. I'm like, Lord, I don't even use that word. Why would, you, why would you give me that word, the era? Why not the period? Why not the time frame, the era? Because it, it, it paints a really distinct picture. Era means a period of time marked by specific characteristics. A period of time marked by specific characteristics. So, 
The Lord said, you're entering into a period of time that will be marked by the characteristics of the kingdom of heaven. Hallelujah. That means that as, as history goes on and church history goes on, they'll look back to the moment that we're stepping into and they'll see that it was just this season, this outpouring of the Holy Ghost marked by the characteristics of the kingdom. So let me explain this because you might be asking, what is the kingdom like? If it's marked by the characteristics, if it's going to display and express the kingdom, what's the kingdom like? I ask the same question. So I want you to turn your Bible to Matthew chapter 13. I want to share some things with you. Start in verse 24. Hallelujah. I don't know. Did y'all turn the AC up? Yeah? Okay. Hot in here. Hallelujah. We're having African church this morning. I mean, really, though, I mean, praise God. I'm not saying we need to just roll around in the mud or anything like that. But, you know, I'm just blown away. I see pictures of people in other countries. They have 400 people gathering underneath a tree to hear the word of God. Heard a testimony of a woman uh, in an African crusade that was paralyzed on the left side of her body. And to literally get to the meeting to receive prayer from the minister, she drug herself across the ground for six miles across the ground just to hear the word of the Lord. And can I tell you what happens with that kind of faith? The Lord delivers in a mighty way. Her body completely healed and restored. Just like the woman with the issue of blood, she put a demand. She had such faith, she drug herself across the ground. And in the United States, you know, it's like if we don't have the smoke machines and, and the floodlights and the fog lights and all of that, then people don't even want to come to church. Amen. Honestly, I'll tell you that the Lord actually had me. At one point, we, had, we used to do that. We'd have the lights down, and, and, you know, and the Lord literally told me, stop. Turn the lights up. Don't depend on those things. Don't depend on those things. Don't make an artificial. Don't, don't try to just create a moment for somebody just to have a moment. Hallelujah. When God moves, we want everybody to say that was God. That wasn't some moment that was manipulated and created. That was that when the glory comes, we don't want anybody to say, is that the glory or the fog machine that's pumping out behind us? You know, Paul actually said that when he came, he came very simply. He said, I didn't come with clever speech and all these philosophies. He said, I came very simply so that you would put your faith in the power of God. So we've tried to simplify. We're like, Lord, we just, we'll turn the lights up. If you can't worship with the lights up, then, you know, you need to, you need to get the Holy Ghost and ask the Lord what's going on because th there's a problem. They didn't have floodlights and smoke machines in Jesus' day. Amen. Anyway, so I'm just messing around. Verse 24 Look at this. Jesus said, here's another story. So he said, you're entering into what is known as the kingdom era, a, a period of time marked by the kingdom. Look what this, what this says. The kingdom of heaven is like. So if I want to know what's it going to look like, he's going to tell us what it's, what it's going to look like. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night, as the workers slept, his enemies came and planted wheat, uh, weeds among the wheat, then slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. 
The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted the good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull out the weeds, they asked? No, he replied, you'll uproot the wheat if you do. So let both grow together until the harvest. Say the harvest. Then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles, and burn them, and put the, put the wheat into the barn. Let me just explain something here. I wrote this down this morning. The heir of the kingdom, the Lord said this, the glory will be so strong, people will be able to perform miracles without even knowing Jesus. In the era of the kingdom, we're entering into an outpouring, a time of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost where the glory of God will be so strong, people will be able to perform miracles without, I said, knowing Jesus. I didn't say without using his name. You can't perform a miracle in the name of Allah or Buddha. There's only one name that's been given above every other name. But what I'm saying is when you study this parable, it says that there will be wheat that grows, uh, there will be tares that grows up next to the wheat. That's what it's like in the kingdom. If you know what a tear is, it looks almost identical to the wheat. So in this time, we're entering into such a great outpouring. People will be able to perform miracles without even knowing who Jesus is. If you've ever studied revival in the Voice of Healing movement, you can listen to some of those people. They said it was so easy to get people healed in the Voice of Healing movement that took place in the 50s. They said that you could get up there and just like, you know, hit a, a guitar chord, and 15 people in the audience get healed and touched by God. They were like, it was so easy. It just happened so easily because there was such a great outpouring. People were able to tap into that anointing. So I've always read the scripture and always kind of tossed it around like, Lord, what does that really mean? I want you to see this. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. Think about that reality. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. I know so many people, even in religious East Texas, that, that think that they're going to heaven because they got baptized when they were six years old. Praise God if you got baptized when you were six years old. But let me ask you, do you know Jesus today? Do you know Jesus? Not do you know about Jesus. Not do you know about the historical figure that's in the book. Do you know, not do you know who Jesus is, do you have a relationship? Do you know Jesus? He says, just calling him Lord will not grant you access into heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. How many Christians do you know that claim the name of Jesus but do not do the will of the Father? Because we create a culture where we teach people that it's okay to just live our own life. Whatever floats your boat. You come into church and people don't like certain things that are in the scripture. So what do we do? We throw those things out to not offend people. And we teach people however you want it is how you can have it. It's not true. You have to do the will of the Father to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And I want to tell you, how do you get saved? You don't get saved by doing the will of the Father. You get saved by faith in the name of Jesus. But can I tell you, the Bible says that faith 
without works is not faith. So if you really have faith in Jesus, you will do the works of the Father in heaven. Hallelujah. Look at this, though. It says, on judgment day, many will say, Lord, look at this. We prophesied in your name. We casted out demons in your name. We performed many miracles in your name. But I'll reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. How is that possible that people can prophesy in the name of Jesus and, and actually get it out and perform miracles and cast out devils? How is that even possible? The Lord was actually speaking even prophetically here that there would be an outpouring of the Holy Ghost in the last days. The glory of God would be so strong that just by tapping in, just by tapping in, you could get miracles. You could cast out devils by using the name of Jesus. It'll be so amazing and easy. The glory of of the Lord shall fill the earth. He says, but I never even knew you. Hallelujah. So what does that mean for the body of Christ? That means that we're moving into a time where we need to be able to identify a tree by its fruit. You know that there was a lot of people, even in the old revivals, they could do many mighty signs and wonders but had whacked out wacky theology. How is it possible that that a person can, can be, you know, having an affair with somebody on the side, but yet still get being, still see people getting healed in their meetings. The anointing of the Holy Ghost. There's a name that works, Jesus. But I want you to think about this. That means that we're moving into a time that it, whenever we see miracles, we're going to see them popping like popcorn. Are y'all receiving this this morning? We are going to see in Angelina County, revivals taking place and moves of the Spirit taking place. You'll see signs, wonders, and miracles popping like popcorn. But when you see it, don't just assume that everything that that person says is correct and true. Because Jesus said there will be many that prophesy, cast out devils, and do miracles in my name. But they don't even know who I am. Let's keep reading. Look at verse 31 through 32. It says, here is another illustration Jesus used. The kingdom of heaven is like. How is it like in the kingdom? It's like a mustard seed planted in the field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of all garden plants. It grows into a tree, and the birds come and make nests in its branches. Can you say smallest? But it becomes the largest. As I was reading this, the Lord spoke to me and said, In the era of the kingdom, the smallest shall become the largest. The smallest shall become the largest. I'm going to give you another scripture in just a moment. Lord, how do you want me to say this? You know, there's a lot of people that talk about promotion, and it'd be easy to get up here and say promotion's coming, and the Lord's doing all this stuff, and shout and get people excited, but we need scriptural backing behind it. So I want you to think about this. In the, in the kingdom, everything starts out small, and it becomes the largest. The smallest seed becomes the largest plant in all of the garden. Let me give you some encouragement. Don't be afraid to start out small. 
Hallelujah. So this was actually prophetic. The Lord was showing me what you're going to see takes pl uh, take place is promotion, where the Lord's going to take what the world called small and insignificant. He's going to begin to use them, these people, these, these, these groups of people in a mighty way. Look at this. I'm going to tie these things together. Look at the very next verse, Matthew 13, 33. Jesus also used this illustration. The kingdom of heaven is like, say it's like. The yeast that a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. How does the kingdom work? It goes out and it says it permeated every part of the dough. So the Lord spoke this. I'm going to tie some things together here. The Lord spoke this to me. And he said, in this time, this outpouring of the Spirit... You'll see the Holy Ghost poured out and the kingdom beginning to infiltrate every area of society. Hallelujah. You know, there's seven spheres of society. There's family. Hallelujah. That means that in this time, we're going to see in the United States, the kingdom permeating families again the kingdom restoring families again the kingdom restoring fathers to homes again we're going to see revival take place and it's not only going to be in a church in a service i want you to catch what i'm saying this morning that it's actually going to look like husbands getting transformed radically changed and going home and being fathers to their children husbands to their wives providers That means, I just feel the Holy Ghost on this. Why is it in our churches, statistically, most of the congregational members are women? You know, the typical thing that you see, women on fire for God, praying for their family, while their husband rolls into church once every five weeks because he's too busy drinking a beer and watching the football game and he's too busy golfing, he's too busy fishing and, and he's in this backslidden condition and you have this these wives that come in, they're crying, they're pleading for God to help them, they're believing for revival. Why is that? Did you know statistically, if a woman gets saved and her children and husband aren't saved, statistically there's like a 30% chance that her whole family gets saved. Do you know what happens if a man gets saved and his wife and children aren't saved? There's statistically, it's in the 90% chance that his entire family gets saved. Think about that. Men are the leaders of our families. God has put us in positions of authority. In order for this country, I want to tell you, half the problem that we're even having in this country is fathers stop being fathers to their children. Parents stop raising their children and put them in an education system that's designed, that's designed to turn children into citizens of the society that they want to create. To indoctrinate our children. What do you think is going to happen? Well, I wonder, why, why is my child a homosexual? Why is my child identify as she or they? or What's going on with my child? When you put them in a system that indoctrinates them for 10 hours a day, because you, you see the government grants, they always push for, not only will we give you free education, we'll watch your children in the morning, and then if you got to work till 8 o'clock at night, we'll watch their, your children till 8 at night, we'll give you funding for all of that. Man, that's awfully generous. 
You really think that people, they're that generous? Like they care that much? Man, we just really want to bless the families. No, there's an agenda behind this. There's an indoctrinating agenda behind this. And then when it comes to the things of the Lord, well, maybe we'll go to the house of the Lord if it's convenient for us. Maybe, you know, if we're not busy, maybe we'll go to church. If we're not busy, maybe we'll go to Wednesday night. And I'm just talking about church. Guys, that's the bare minimum. The bare minimum of a Christian's life is they devoted. In Acts chapter 2, when they got saved and baptized, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, and into prayer. They gave themselves. You think that if a parent can't get to church once a week, that they're having Bible studies and laying hands on their children at home? No. Absolutely not. So get this. I'm not sitting here speaking this in condemnation. I'm saying there is a move of the Holy Ghost that's coming that will infiltrate the family unit, that will infiltrate families in the United States of America, where you'll see families getting filled with the Holy Ghost and restored back to God's path, restored back to God's order, fathers being fathers, mothers being mothers. I want you to set your faith. You know, everything's designed, even with inflation, everything's designed to get the parents occupied and the children in the state's hand. So what do we do? If we, well, you know, back in the day, you could make a living off of a man having a, a, you know, a decent, it didn't have to be some extravagant, even if you had a lowering paying job, you could still pay the bills and make it work. But now the way that this whole thing is structured, it's to get everybody where both parents have to go to work for 10 hours a day, six days a week, and the children just go into the care of somebody else. Not for the believer. Listen to me. Not for the believer. If you'll set your faith to it, men, the Lord will give you a job where you'll be a breadwinner and you'll go and provide for your family and your wives can stay at home and raise your children up in the ways of the Lord. I'm telling you, if you're not in that situation right now, I'm not speaking condemnation to you. I'm telling you that God is offering you something greater right now. If you're a woman, you know, and I, I, I want to say this as well. I, I believe that God can call you and you have a, obviously a purpose and calling and things the Lord would have you to do. But let me just tell you, don't forfeit your family for a career. Don't forfeit your family just for some salary because you think, this is the lifestyle that I want. These are the vacations that I want. This is the house I want to live in and the car I want to drive. And I'm actually going to forfeit my children's eternity to go and, and have this. No, understand. When you study, I'm just being honest. Again, this is sharky territory, I think. But when you study a role, everywhere, even when you read about women in the Bible, God commends them. To steward their home, to raise their children, to be a helpmate, to come alongside their husbands. If there's two people right now that you're having to work through different careers and two different things, that's okay. Put your faith out. Ask God to give you a business idea where you can come together and you can work together and make money and then raise your children in the ways of the Lord. Are y'all with me? I mean, this is really practical stuff. So the, the, he said the kingdom, it will spread. It's 
takes a little bit. Hallelujah. You know what that means? That all it's going to take is one city, one church, one person that will say yes to God. And it'll start like a little mustard seed or like a little bit of yeast. And the Lord will use a little church or a little person to make revival spread across this country. And it will spread and it will permeate and it will saturate every single sphere and area of society. Families are being touched by the Lord. Hallelujah. Lord, even from this house, let families that live in Louisiana eat from the, tr- uh, from the fruit of this tree. Let families across the state eat from the fruit of your tree. There's the other spheres of society. You got family, arts, and entertainment. Hallelujah. You know what revival's going to look like? When we're just not okay with people putting out the crap that they're putting right now. When artists stop writing songs, I'm not even going to name the names of some of these songs. You know why? Because people don't buy them anymore. Man, we put this nasty song out and no one listened to it. Why didn't anyone listen to it? Because they're getting saved and baptized in the Holy Ghost and they don't, they're not interested in that junk anymore. <laughs> Who we idolize... Idolize the devil. Let me just say this from the Lord. Get the devil out of your home. Get the devil out of your home. Get the devil out. Y'all, I want to tell you, you think, oh, it's just innocent. I'm just tired of my kid. They're just really excited a lot, and I just don't have the emotional strength. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pop them in front of the TV and turn on Cartoon Network. This ain't 1980 anymore. Have you watched the cartoons? Have you watched what they're pumping in the mainstream media and entertainment industry? You need to wake up and realize. You know what arrival looks like? It looks like people waking up. It looks like the kingdom spreading and permeating and saturating every area of society. Arts and entertainment, media, education, hallelujah. You know, I prophesy this. You're going to see two things take place. Number one, you're going to see a huge homeschool movement taking place very soon. A very large homeschooling movement. Number two, also the thing that you're going to see taking place is is the church starting private education. I know that the Lord gave us vision. I thought, Lord, he told us to do it, and we're believing to do it. Starting like a private school where we hire some some teachers on, and I don't know what grades it would be through, but basically giving kids, I want to just say this. There needs to be places that come out and say, you have our word. Your child will never have to wear a mask. Your child will never have to be vaccinated. Your child will be trained up in the things of God. Your child will have an opportunity to learn the things they need to learn for society and an opportunity to hear the word of God on a frequent basis, receive Jesus Christ, be baptized in the Holy Ghost. The church is taking back the education system. And God's raising up people in his house with that vision. God is looking for people right now that will say yes. Yes. Hallelujah. Man, when I said that, I felt the anointing go out. Somebody grabbed a hold of what I just said. Oh, hallelujah. 
And I want to tie these things. Think about what I said first. The kingdom's like the mustard seed. The smallest will become the largest. <laughs> so think about that in terms of family, arts and entertainment, media, education. Look at this, religion. Say religion. You guys would never believe, but God's going to send revival to his churches. <laughs> we need revival in our churches, Lord. We need revival in our churches, Lord. We need revival. We need revival. Thank you, Jesus. You know, it's interesting. I'm not going to get into all of this, but when you study Acts chapter 2, Peter prophesied in the last days, he quoted from Joel chapter 2. I'm just going to give you a paraphrase here. He gave a description of what a revival in the end times was going to look like. He was not, people could say he was talking about what was happening there. Yes, he was. But stop just putting God in one little box. God can say two things at once. He was saying, this is what you see taking place. But he was also prophesying a, a, a great move of the Spirit that will happen in the last days in Acts chapter 2. Because if you read this, in Acts chapter 2, are you all still okay for a few more minutes? Can I finish the word of the Lord this morning? In Acts chapter 2, he goes on to say, in the last days I'll pour out my Spirit, verse 17, upon all people. All people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days I'll pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they'll all prophesy. I'll cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Look at this. Blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before the great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. So what Peter just said, what you're seeing is a fulfillment of what Joel said. But when he said that statement, he just tied it together with the second coming of Christ. In Matthew chapter 24, the same words are used almost verbatim. The Lord told me in my spirit, and, and we've went through it if you've been a part of this church for the last several months. Pentecost was a type and shadow of the end time move of God. I'm going to read the verse in Ecclesiastes 1, 9 through 11 in just a moment. But you have to understand, everything happens. Like, there's always a type. There's always a shadow. There's always an impression of something before it actually takes place in the earth. That's why many Christians are freaking out saying, well, is the COVID vac is that vaccine, is it the mark of the beast? No, it's, it's not the mark of the beast. But can I tell you, it's a type of it. In, in Revelation 13, it says no man will be able to buy, sell, or trade without uh, taking the mark that is given on their right hand and on their forehead. Which is the mark of the beast or, or the number representing his name. I think I, I'm going to read that just so I don't misquote. Revelation 13, look at this. This is verse 16. He required everyone, say everyone, small and great, rich or poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on their right hand and on their forehead, and no one could buy or sell anything without the mark, which was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. So anytime that you see that, what do you see, for an example, with what's taking place right now? Something that's being forced on people, 
where they've already tried it, and thank God it's failed in the United States, but I'm going to get to another layer of this in a moment. You can't, hey, you can't travel out of your state unless you get the vaccine passport. You can't travel out of your country. Hey, what's the next step? You can't go into this grocery store. You can't go into this gym. You can't buy stuff from us unless you take and have proof that you've taken this mark or this vaccine. Am I telling you that it's the mark of the beast? No, but what I'm telling you is it's a pattern through Scripture. There's something that always takes place in the earth first that's in shadow of the actual event. Are y'all still with me? And so in Acts chapter 2, what's this end time move of God really going to look like? An outpouring of the Holy Ghost. That looks like Acts chapter 2. What does it look like in Acts chapter 2? They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Hallelujah. What does that tell me? In the last days, there's a move of God that's coming where... You're going to see Baptists getting filled with the Holy Ghost, Methodists getting filled with the Holy Ghost. There's a great move of the Spirit that's coming to the church. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Say it permeates every part. Jesus told me that we're entering into a season of the kingdom. It'll It'll go out and permeate every part. Hallelujah. Economics, say economics. Economics. Hallelujah. Think about this. The kingdom is going to impact the economical realm, economical sphere. Business, say business. The kingdom is going to impact business. Hallelujah. God's raising up business owners in this last day. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Man, you're going to see mega multi-million dollar companies that are ran by Holy Ghost people filled, filled with the Holy Ghost on kingdom assignment. You're going to have entire businesses. It's already happened in the past. Study J.C. Penney. Study, uh, I, I believe Ford was a, was a tither. There's probably many, many more. These were people that the Lord gave them these businesses, and they literally tied it into, this is my business. The Lord has prospered me for kingdom purpose. Y'all still getting this? Government. Say government. So I want you to get this. I'm going to tie these two things together. Y'all hearing from the Lord this morning? The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed in the field. It starts, it's the smallest of all seed, but it becomes the largest in all of the gardens. That means that what this is going to look like is promotion from the Lord. I want to tell you what you're going to see. I wrote this down. Promotion based off of obedience and faithfulness. (laughs) Hallelujah. That means that there will be small businesses planted by the Lord right now that start off small, that start off insignificant. They start off like the smallest seed out of all the other plants, but they're faithful to the Lord. They're faithful to the word of God. They're faithful to do the things that the Lord says to do. And you're going to see a transition take place where the smallest things become the largest things in the entire garden. Hallelujah. Are y'all grabbing a hold of this? You know, the Lord actually told me, 
Think about religion. The Lord told me. Some of the, some of the people that you're going to see leading this next revival are going to be names you've never heard of. Churches you've never heard of. Not just the famous ones that are already broadcasting and all on TV. The Lord said, no, we're entering into a season. I want to tell you as well, we've been, we've been tested. We've been going through a test, and I'm going to cover that as I wrap my sermon up in just a moment. We've been tested. You know, everybody's had a test in the last two years, and the Lord's, the eyes of the Lord have watched who is faithful to obey his word and do the things that he commands us to do. Guys, I want to tell you what revival is going to look like even in religion, even in the church world. You know that there's churches that would never have revival, extended revival. They wouldn't do it. And the Lord says it's not because he hasn't told them. It's because they're not willing. Why are they not willing? Well, if we bring somebody in and we go past 12 o'clock, people aren't going to like it and they're going to leave and they're not going to come back a second time. And then God forbid, what if we gathered that night again and went into the presence of the Lord for another four hours? And God forbid, what if we gathered on a Monday night and the Holy Ghost showed up and we still press forward and on a Tuesday night? But no, we can't do that. People think that's too radical. People are busy. You know, we can't, we can't, we can't have revival on Monday. That's, that's baseball night. People have baseball they take their kids to. The Lord put this in my spirit this, this last year. Me and Pastor Tanner, we planned a youth event. And the, like the week of the event, we found out that some, some event was taking place at the high school, that some football game or whatever. And, 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 and the Lord just, it jumped out of my spirit. The conversation was brought up just in question. I mean, we were both kind of just asking, should we reschedule? The Lord said, no, don't reschedule. Do not reschedule. Even if two people come, don't reschedule. Because you're going to set the standard that the things of the world no longer take a back seat to the things of God. And you may be the only one that's doing it, but I will use you now to set a standard that the things of this world, the patterns and customs of this world, will no longer take precedent over the things of God. I want you to begin to build that in your culture, said the Lord, where people put the things of God first. Seek first the kingdom of heaven above all else and his righteousness. And Jesus said, all these other things will be added unto you. Well, if I don't put my kids in 16 different things a week, you know, they're going to be weird when they grow up. No, actually seek first the kingdom of heaven above all else and God will work all the rest out. I'd rather have a weird kid full of the fire of the Holy Ghost than a backslidden kid that goes to hell for eternity. And let me also say this as well. You don't have to be weird and filled with the Holy Ghost. People will think it's weird because they don't have the right spirit. But you don't have to be some weirdo that has the Holy Spirit. Like a space cadet, you know. You don't have to be that way. Hallelujah. So what the Lord told me. I want you to think about this, that there are even businesses, there's ministries, there's churches, there's, there's people that the Lord at one time had handed keys of authority to cities, to counties. 
But we went through a testing where the Lord said, this is what I want you to do, but they weren't willing to pay the price. So what is the Lord saying? That he's transferring. He's actually going to be taking what he prepared for one and giving it to another. And the smallest shall become the largest. Y'all, I'm telling you, I'm prophesying right now. You'll see little churches just explode within a matter of a year or two. You'll see little businesses just explode where you're like, man, we were doing really well to bring in three or $4,000 a week, and now you know, we're bringing in six figures a month. You'll see that kind of thing. And if that's offensive for me to talk about that, I hope it is because the, Ho the Holy Ghost needs it to get dealt with in the body of Christ. I'm going to get to this in a moment as well. But, guys, promotion is coming for the faithful. And the reason the Lord had me preach this message this morning is because it's not too late. God is still extending his grace and mercy. If you have not been faithful during this time and you've compromised on the word of God, you can still repent and the Lord will still use you, will still bless you. But I'm telling you right now that there is a time, a harvest that's coming where things will be transferred over. And you want to be on the right side. Hallelujah. You know, the Lord told me promotion is coming. You know, the church needs to learn how to handle money. A lot of churches won't even teach about the tithe and offering. Well, if we talk about the tithes and offerings for like five and a half minutes, someone's going to get offended by it. Who cares if people get offended by it? When did Jesus ever care about who got offended by the truth? The truth is the truth. If it's in the word of God, it's, a, it's the truth. And it doesn't matter if it offends you. Let me tell you, if I read something in this word and it offends me, I'm wrong. And the Bible's right. Hallelujah. We're so afraid for people to be offended, but yet when I really read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it looked like Jesus went around offending everyone. But he wasn't doing it out of a wrong spirit, like, I just want to be a jerk today. He was the truth. And sometimes people need to be confronted with the truth because there's darkness, there's flesh, there's sin that's on the inside of us. And God loves us so much. And in order for us to receive what he has for us, that thing has to be exposed. And what, what exposes it? The light, the truth. That's why Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth shall set you free. I'm afraid to, to say that. You know, I'm really afraid to speak out. Stop being afraid. Paul said that if I wanted to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Yeah. Say, I live to please God. I want you to declare this. Say, I'll go where he wants me to go. I'll do what he wants me to do. I'll say what he wants me to say. Hallelujah. We're moving into a time where I wrote this, God's handing over the keys in cities. God's promoting businesses. The smallest shall become the largest. Can you give the Lord a shout of praise if you receive that this morning? I'm going to give you a quick point. Matthew chapter 25. Did you guys happen to turn these lights up at all? No? Jeez, Louise, these things are blinding. Matthew chapter 25. 
I made the mistake of looking up into one of them at one point. And I got the little circle in my eye right now. <laughs> Matthew chapter 25, it says, in verse 14 through 30. Again, the kingdom can be illustrated uh, by a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. Can you say money? Man, out of all the things Jesus could have used to make a point, money, really? I guess it's actually important to Jesus what we do with our money. But yet churches are too afraid to talk about it because it offends people. But it matters to him. It says he called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags to another, and one bag to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. Then he left on his trip. It says, the servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. The servant with two bags of silver went to work and earned two more, but the servant who received one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. I want you to skip down to verse. Let's see here. Okay, just verse 19. After a long time, their master returned from the trip, and he called to give an account of how they used his money. The servant whom he had entrusted five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver for the best, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling the small amount. Say faithful. So now I'll give you more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you've given me two bags of silver to invest. I've earned two more. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful. Say faithful. And handling this small amount, so I'll give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with one bag came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man. Harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant, if you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money. Look at this. Take the money from this servant. Wow. You mean to tell me that God doesn't just hand out blue ribbons no matter what we do? No. There's actually something that's going to take place where he will take what was once given to one person and it's going to be transferred to another. Hallelujah. Brother James gave a prophecy here all back and I, I mean it stuck with me. Did you give it publicly? Where he said the Lord says there's many even pastors and ministries in this time that have pretty much promoted. You know what? You don't have to come to church. You can just stay at home. You can just watch online if, that what make, if that's what makes you comfortable. You know, it's, it doesn't really matter how we gather. All it matters is that we gather. The Lord says that by the fruit of your mouth you shall be filled. You shall have what you say. And you know what? By their own mouths they have spoken. This building and this property doesn't matter. We don't actually need it. We actually don't need to gather here all together. All we need is a camera and a little broadcasting studio. And the Lord said that he's going to take those properties and begin to give them to other people. Hallelujah. So, 
Then he ordered, take the money from this servant, give it to the one with ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. To those who use well, but from those who do nothing, even with what little they have, that will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hallelujah. I want to give you the last part of this word, and I'm going to close the service out this morning. I appreciate you guys taking the time. Sometimes the word of the Lord is, it's a lot, and it's like, man, we've been going and going and going, and, and that's okay. I mean, we got to get the word of the Lord out. Amen? Nothing else that's more important that we could do this morning. This is the Lord's day. Every day is the Lord's day. So, the next thing that the Lord told me, I'm going to move up a little bit. The next thing that the Lord told me, he said, the smallest shall become the largest. The kingdom will go and permeate and overtake every uh, part and sphere of society. And right about this time, there's a minister named Kenneth Copeland. Raise your hand if you've heard of Kenneth Copeland before. Most of you have. A lot of people either like him or hate him. Uh, but the reality is he's a prophet of the Lord that has been appointed over the United States of America. What took place during this time was Kenneth Copeland stood. This was last November. It probably happened before that even. And he pronounced judgment over COVID-19. And he literally stood up and he released, he just blew. He, he released, prophetically, he released the wind of God. So during this prayer time, when the Lord began to speak to me about the era of the, the, era of the kingdom, I saw in my spirit a wind come and begin to blow across the entire earth. Whenever that prophet released the wind of God, I saw, it, I saw the earth and I saw the wind come and just begin to blow across the face of the earth. This wind began to blow. And the Lord then took me to this scripture in Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Jesus said, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. His teaching, you could replace the word, anyone who listens to my words and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. I want to just say this. Jesus said, if you take the word and you put it into, into action and you build your life on the word of God, you will have a life like a person built on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise, in the wind, say the wind, beats against the house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. How do I live a destruction-free life? Build your life on the word of God. And the Bible says if you build your life on this word, it doesn't matter how big the storm is. Christians want to glorify storms. But yet Jesus slept through the storm. It doesn't matter how hard the wind blows or the rain comes down. You're not moving. You're steadfast because you're built on the word of God. But look at that word, the wind. Say the wind. Look at verse 26. Anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish like a person who builds the house on the sand. When the rain and floods come in the wind, say wind, beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty 
crash. The Lord took me to this verse, and he said, the wind of God comes upon the earth right now. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken, and only that which was built on the word of God shall remain standing when the wind is done blowing. What does that mean? That there's, and I actually saw this. I began to prophesy this. The Lord showed me there was businesses that in the spirit, that wind just shook them and, and their foundation collapsed. There was ministries that the wind shook them and their foundation collapsed. Now let me tell you this. And the Lord said right now as this wind comes a- across the earth, there's many groups of people that their legs have already been cut out from underneath them. But you won't see it immediately. I'm going to ask you why. So the Lord told me their empire, their, their foundation's been completely destroyed. And in the spirit, they have no foundation. In the spirit, they're already cut at the legs. But then a year goes by, and you're like, you still see prosperity. You still see advancement. You still see on the surface things taking place. Also, but the Lord brought me to when Jesus cursed the fig tree. It says that he, that he went to this tree, and he went to grab figs. And there was no figs. And he cursed the tree, and he walked away. And what's interesting is the Bible says when he cursed the tree, the, it didn't dry up immediately. Can you imagine Jesus walks up and says, may nobody ever eat fruit from you again. And he curses it and walks away. And then the, the, the disciples are standing there. The tree's still standing up just fine. They're like, that was weird. You know, what the heck was that? But then the next day, they came back to the tree, and they saw that it had actually withered up from the roots. So when Jesus cursed it, even though on top of the surface the tree still looked exactly the same, when he released that word, the roots were cursed and began to wither. And the Lord said, when this wind blew, everything that's not been built on my word. I'm going to release a very controversial statement right now. But guys, can I tell you something? The Bible tells us to gather together. Do not forsake, Hebrews 10, 25, assembling together as some people do. It doesn't matter if there's a virus. It doesn't matter what the state says. It doesn't matter what the, what the governor says. It doesn't matter what the county judge says. God is the ultimate authority. His word is the ultimate authority. He said don't forsake assembling together. So what does that mean? We don't forsake assembling together. Period. Period. Say Period. But, Brother John, don't you understand there's a virus? Yeah, I understand. And I would rather die obeying God's word than live and build my house on the sand. Another thought, when did Christians become so afraid to die? When we need to protect our people. Really? His faithful promises, Psalms 91, are my armor and my protection. Hold up the shield of faith, Ephesians chapter 6, with which you will quench every fiery dart of the enemy. Well, we need to just be wise. How about we preach the word of God and get faith in people? I want to tell you boldly, no one in my house is dying of COVID-19 now or anytime soon. Wow, John, that seems really arrogant. I have no confidence in myself. I believe the word of the Lord. Though a thousand fall at my side and 10,000 people die around me, it stops when it touches me. 
No evil comes nigh my dwelling. No plague. Do not fear the arrows that fly by the day or the disease that stalks in the night. Is God saying that so that we don't fear and then we die anyways? Well, I died, but at least I wasn't afraid, but I still died. No. He said that because it's crazy. There actually is a living God who will supernaturally protect you from things. He will order his angels to surround you. So that means when that devil comes knocking on your door, it's greeted by a couple angels. And they're not little cupids flying around with little bows and wings and diapers on. Angels of the Lord, you stop here and go no further. You believe that? I'm sorry, people, that's radical. I'm sorry that we believe the Bible. I don't know when it became radical to believe what the Bible says and bet my life. I'll bet my life on it. When are Christians going to get to the point where they believe the Bible so much they'll bet their lives on it? Well, actually, 90% of Christians don't even tithe, so they don't even believe the Bible enough to bet their money on it, much less their life. Statistically, I'm not saying this, I'm saying statistically, I think it's 96% of Christians don't even tithe. Only 4% of Christians statistically tithe. Yeah, I believe the Bible. I'm sure you do. I love you. I love you. you guys, and I'm telling you, I'm not, I'm not trying to speak condemnation, but God's fed up with this stuff. Don't stifle the Holy Ghost. Don't scoff at prophets. You guys, we just think that God's just okay with everything. No, he's fed up with this stuff. He's fed up with fake, weak stuff, compromising stuff. So the Lord showed me that in the spirit, the legs were already cut off. And then you say, well, if the legs were cut off, again, how come it seems like things just keep going right along like as if it never changed? There's a harvest season. I want to show you this. Look at uh, Matthew 21, 33-34. Anybody getting anything from the Lord this morning out of this? I always feel so bad. We have a couple that drives all the way from Jacksonville every week to be here. Y'all wave your hand. Y'all are awesome. Y'all drive, they drive from Jacksonville like three times a week or more when we have revival every day to be at this church. And I'm just like, Lord, let Christians follow that example. They drive over an hour and a half to come to church every week. Most Christians won't walk two blocks to come get in the house of God. But I always like people like, man, you're having a long service. Why well, ain't going to make them drive for an hour and a half to give them a little 45-minute half-baked thing? And okay, have a nice drive home. Took you three hours round trip to get here and back, but here's a little half-baked thing. No. If anybody else doesn't care, God bless y'all. I'm going to preach to my friends that drove from Jacksonville because they came here hungry for the word of God. Well, John, we really got other things to do. Go do them. No one's holding you at gunpoint or shackling you to the ground. But the eyes of the Lord are roaming, and there is a test. There is a test. And as we just read, God's not a socialist. He doesn't give everybody the same thing. We all do different things, and we all get the same reward. No, no, you don't. The smallest will become the largest because some of the largest refuse to do 
the things that the Lord has asked them to do. Because of the love of money, if we do that, you know, the Lord showed me this, that there was many churches that shut down, and it wasn't because they were afraid of a virus. They, they've, they've built in the spirit of the world so strong in their church that they knew if we don't comply with the CDC, 60% of our tithe-paying congregation is going to leave, and we're not going to have that tithe money coming in anymore. They were actually never terrified. I'm not saying everyone. I'm saying some. The Lord showed me this in the spirit. They were never terrified that they were going to die of this thing. So, I'm going to wrap it up with this. I was telling you, harvest season. So, Matthew 21, 33 through 34, listen to another story. A certain landowner planted a vineyard, built a wall around it, and dug a pit for pressing out the grape juice and built a lookout tower. Then he released the vineyard to tenants and farmers uh, and moved to another country. At the time of the grape harvest, say at the time, he sent his servants to collect a share of crops. Here's a little nugget of theology for you. There is a harvest time, and all the time's not harvest time. Why, why I've sowed seed, and I haven't seen it come through. There's a harvest time, and it's not all the time. The Bible says that there shall be seed, time, and harvest not seed and harvest, seed time. I know that it's one word, but I, I mean, I just want you to catch this. You plant the seed, and then what does the Bible say? Well, I, I'll get to this as well. The seed has to die. And then time goes on, and what happens after time? The seed grows, and it becomes a tree. And then what happens when and now there's a harvest time? You can't, you can't have harvest time every day of the week, every month. There is a harvest time, and I want to prophesy the word of the Lord. There is a harvest time that's coming, and the Bible says you will not mock the justice of God. You will reap what you sow. Not only good harvest, bad harvest. So how is it that there's been things that have been cut off in the spirit at the legs, but yet nothing's changed because harvest time has not come? When harvest time comes, you're going to see things drastically overnight flip upside down on their head. Hallelujah. Let me give you this last thing. Ecclesiastes 1, 9 through 11. Look what it says. History merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Sometimes people say, here's something new, but actually it's old. Nothing is ever truly new. Say nothing. nothing. We don't remember what happened in the past, and in future generations, no one will remember what we're doing now, so I want you to catch this. The Bible says nothing is new. That means that everything that is happening and will happen, there's already a pattern laid out for it in the scripture. You know what the Lord anoints prophets to do? They're able to flip through this Bible. It, it, you know, that's why everything that I've shared with you today, I didn't just share some wacky thing. I showed you. The kingdom is like. The kingdom is like. This is how it works in the kingdom. But... The Lord allows prophets to flip through the scripture and, and he'll show them the story of David, the story of Moses, the story of Joshua. You, you could go on, the story of Elijah and Elisha, different things throughout the Bible. He'll show them that, that blueprint. He'll show them where that took place, that pattern, and then speak to them by the Holy Ghost. Nothing's new under the sun. Where we're at right now, 
what's taking place politically right now, what's happening right now. And then through that, we're able to discern, number one, what's going on, and number two, how we should respond to it. And the Holy Ghost has spoken to me. I'm going to end with this. We are in a Daniel chapter 3 moment. We are in a Daniel chapter 3 moment. If you're not familiar with that, that's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego with King Nebuchadnezzar. What ended up happening was the king, the government, made a statue and said, everybody must bow down and worship this statue. What took place? Three Hebrew boys stood and said, we will not bow. We will worship the Lord our God, period. You know, you think about that. They're written in history because so many Christians, that we're in this moment right now where, where the governments came in through fear. I want to tell you, that's the only foothold the devil has is fear. That's why the Bible tells you to fear the Lord because whatever you fear is your God. Whenever you fear a virus, that means that you believe that virus is more powerful than the anointing and grace that's on your life. When you fear government, that means that you fear that they're more powerful than God's hand to deliver you. That's why the Bible tells you fear God, because whatever you fear, you put in authority over yourself. You're declaring by your fear that this thing has power to do something to me that's outside of my will. Do you fear ladybugs? You shouldn't. If you do, you're weird, and I'll pray for you. But most people, if a ladybug landed on you, except when I was a kid, someone told me the yellow ones were poisonous, so I would freak out when they would land on me. But if a ladybug lands on you, you don't fear it because you know, even subconsciously, this thing has no ability to inflict any harm upon me. But if you walked into a, you know, walked outside and, and you, right underneath your foot was a seven foot long rattlesnake, maybe you'd start getting a little, oh, I don't, you know, I'm not sure about that. Because you know this thing has the ability to inflict harm upon me. So that's why I think about why the Bible tells you fear the Lord. Don't fear man, Jesus said, who can destroy your body. Fear the Lord who can destroy your body and soul in hell. And if you walk in faith, man can't destroy your body. Neither can the, yeah, neither can the devil. You'll tread on serpents and scorpions, he said. Now that's radical. Well, it's the Bible. Luke 10, 19. Y'all still with me? So we're in a Daniel chapter 3 moment. Bow down and worship. And then we've had this decision that we've had to make. Are we going to stand on the word of God, even if it costs us everything? Well, pastor, if you shut your church, if you don't shut down, they could arrest you. Arrest me. I'll be here every Sunday at 1030 and Wednesday and probably very soon, a lot more than that, when Holy Ghost is moving and we're having revival all the time. Arrest me. Paul was arrested. Jesus was arrested. Right? So we are, we're in this compromising moment where bow down and worship. And I want you to think about the position that most Christians took. Okay, we're going to just do it. We're going to bow down and we're going to compromise. But think, how many Christians do you think said that? Our, our Hebrew people back in the day said, well, we're going to bow down so that we don't get punished. But when we bow, we're not actually worshiping the statue. We're going to worship the Lord instead. And God knows our hearts, right? Did God commend that type of thinking in that story at all? No, actually, he stood behind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who say, we won't bow. 
even on principle. We're going to throw you into the fiery furnace. Even if you throw us into the fiery furnace, we still won't bow. Because our God is able to deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we still won't bow. That's why you're like, well, that's crazy for you to say. You would rather keep your church open and get COVID than shut it down? Yeah, I would. Because my God's able to deliver me. And even if he doesn't, I still won't bow. I'm not going to bow to fear. I'm not going to bow to an antichrist agenda. And why am I saying this? Because if you're a believer, you better get this in your spirit because we're entering into the hour where you're going to need it. You better get it. You better get it strong. You better get it firm because, guys, I'm telling you, 2018 and 2019 and Donald Trump's roaring economy, right now, it's over for right now. But that doesn't mean that your prosperity is cut off as a believer because Isaac prospered in the famine. It says that year there was a famine and everybody else was storing up and he was in the seed or he was in the field sowing and that year he reaped a hundred times what he sowed and he prospered so much that the country that he lived in had to kick him out because they were afraid of him. This guy has, two, this guy has so many servants he could overthrow our army. Hallelujah. Why was Isaac able to do that? He knew the blessing that was on his father Abraham, and it was the blessing that was upon him. And Galatians chapter 3 says, we've received the blessing of Abraham in Christ Jesus. We are the true children of Abraham. That means if Isaac could prosper in the time of famine, we can prosper in the time of famine. We're going to shut down shipping and cut off cargo ships. Cut them off. We'll start our own beef companies and our own cattle companies and our own produce and our own stores. When are we going to realize we don't need this stuff? When are Christians going to rise up in faith and be able to confront the devil in the eyes and say, I don't need you? You think that I need you to do what the Lord told me to do? I don't need you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So what happened? I'm going to end with this. Some of them bowed, and and, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood. They didn't bow. And the Lord told me that that's what happened in 2020. We saw the first first test take place. Some people were put on the right side. Some people were put on the left side. Who's built on the word of God? Who will stand for the word of God? But I want to tell you the season that we're in right now. Everybody's just thinking, there's, a, there's been a lot of places that let other people take the heat, and now that they think that this is all over and in the past, that now we'll open back up, and now we'll play along and act like we were tough the whole time, and now we'll do all of that, and really they weren't. God, God see, you can't lie to God. He sees your heart. He sees the intent of your heart. He sees everything. You can't lie to God. And so here's the reality about it is there's so many people that think that we're just done and I'm glad that 2020 and 2021 is in the past. Guys, I'm telling you, you better get ready for wave two and three or four or five, however many waves they've already tried to send. But the prayer of the church has, has cut the devil off in the United States of America. But I know that I'm, I'm going to tell you this, and this is why it's so important that you get the word in your heart because... The Lord said we're entering into phase two now. Phase one was standing before Nebuchadnezzar and making the decision, are you going to bow or are you going to stand? 
Some, some bowed, some stood. Okay, now there's a group of those that have stood. And again, if you bowed, it's not too late. God's so rich in mercy. But can I tell you something? You have to humble yourself. People think repentance is sweeping something under the rug and then pretending it never happened. No, repentance is humbling yourself. Verbally, I was wrong. The Lord told me that there's many ministries that need to do that. They need to come out and say, guys, I missed it. I didn't recognize what this was at first, but now I recognize it. I'll never lead you astray again. I was wrong. The Lord will get behind that. But us like, no, let's just pretend and sweep it under the rug and move on. The Lord sees that. So it's one thing to stand in front of Nebuchadnezzar, but it's a whole other thing whenever we're turning and we're walking towards the fiery furnace now. And so the Lord told me in wave two, and I'm going to tell you, we already heard on the news that, they're going to, that there's a whole other strand that's coming out and a whole other thing. And I'm telling you, you guys think that there's, there's an end? There's no end because it's more than just about a virus. And they'll probably kick me off YouTube for talking about it, but I'm just telling you the truth. If you think that this is still about a virus, you're crazy. You've chosen to, to fall asleep and to stay asleep. It's not. And so what's going to happen as we turn is there's many that could stand whenever they were facing the king, but there's many that will fall away when they're facing the fiery furnace. And we're going to get brought right into the heat. And the Lord said that this is what's going to happen is we're going to come into a season where now we see the furnace, where now the heat's turned up, where now the pressure's really on us because we thought that it was all over. We thought it was just a big bluff, but there's, there's going to be more pressure. And then more are going to fall to the side. More are going to bow out. But the Lord said this. Revival is in the fire. This is the last thing I'm going to say to you. Revival is in the fire. Hallelujah. Revival is in the fire. If you look at Daniel 3, what ended up taking place? They were thrown into the fiery furnace, but what happened? Their faith kept them. It says that they weren't burned. They didn't even have the smell of smoke on their clothes. And yet, when they looked into the furnace, they saw a fourth person standing with them who looked like the Son of God. You guys want to know where Jesus is at? He's in the fire right now. He's in the furnace right now. And what's going to take place is we're going to continue to go down this path and go through this season where we're tested and when we're tried. But those who are faithful and trust God will be escorted right into the fiery furnace and we're going to be dancing in the furnace and we're going to walk hand in hand with Jesus and revivals in the fire. The kingdom era where the smallest becomes the largest, it's in the fiery furnace. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you so much for tuning in with me as I shared the Word of God. If you would like to become more than just a casual listener and want to give to our ministry, you can do so in the following ways. For credit or debit, go to www.nbchuntington.org donate. For PayPal, you can send it to NBC Huntington. For Cash App, use dollar sign capital NBCHTX20. Thank you so much. I pray God blesses you abundantly. Until next time, this is John Wallace.